Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoe. Hello, and welcome to the coaching podcast for British Canoeing Awarding Body. My name's Lee Pooley and I'm really pleased that I'm joined today by Hannah, Hannah Brown. Hi. Hi Melly. Um, so Hannah has uh, recently uh, completed a study, a uh, study uh, which uh, is quite a long name in terms of its, its particular um, title and it's the determinants of boat velocity during a 200 meter race in elite Paralympic sprint kayakers. And what we want to do today is probably what we want to do is explore with Hannah around this particular particular piece of research. And I'm sure lots of you listening will get some real key ideas about the study, um, the findings of the study, and then some applications that you may want to consider when actually uh, coaching. So Hannah, um, I think just to begin with is maybe introduce yourself to, to the listeners. Who you are, what you you know, what you've done, mm-hmm. and why you're currently working. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Um, as you said, I'm Hannah Brown. Uh, currently work within the Para Canoe team as a academy coach um, and their performance analysis. And um, that came about by my application and successful um, application to do a joint studentship with the EIS, so the English Institute of Sport and the Para Canoe team back in 2019 over to 2020. Um, this joint uh, studentship allowed me that sort of um, inclusion and immersion within their team, um, but also facilitated my studying at Nottingham Trent where I did a master's in research and performance analysis. Um, and that kind of led me on to do a, a piece on a performance question within the Para Canoe team. And they were intrigued to sort of take a little bit more of an in-depth look at what makes their boats go fast. And within Para Canoe, there's a, a series of events across kayak and VAR. And within that, there's a couple of classifications. So within the kayak specifically, we've got three classification levels um, due to individuals' impairments. And I think as a group of coaches, they're intrigued to see if there might be different combinations of the underpinning factors that make the boats go fast. So. I was allowed access to a, um, a hell of a lot of data mm-hmm. from their um, performance system that they collated over probably, I should remember this, years and years and years, I should have it, since 2017 to mm-hmm. 2020, um, looking into uh, specific 200 meter delivery performances. Uh, and yeah, I got to sort of take it apart and, and look at any trends that might, might have been there. Okay. So, uh, so for this study, a really quite big sample size, isn't it? This is not just you know some of the some of the research that we've seen recently. It really focuses on one or two athletes, but we're talking actually quite a big sample size here. Yeah, I mean the sample size was based on just uh, British athletes. Yeah. So um, I think the requirement was having competed on an international level. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was looking at the elite end, um, which in the grand scheme of things is actually quite a narrow sample. Mm-hmm. But I was. Um, treated to quite a high number of uh, athletes within the British system within each category, so it was a spoil in that respect. Mm. Um, the sample size as well, there was a lot of data collected during this time, mm. so I had a fantastic range of 200 meter efforts. There was some exclusion and inclusion criteria that I went down, um, mainly to make sure that I was looking at the same type of effort, mm. um, so I could pull out the trends and compare them. 
so I think in the end I ended up with 646 efforts to, wow. to unpick, um, categorise and, and, and look into. Yeah, wow. Um, so, you know, I come across this, I, I come across this research, Hannah, on, on LinkedIn, you know, mm. right, you know and um, I, I was really pleased that, you know, that I was able to, to, to read it. And when I first read the title, I was like, oh, this is going to be a real heavy, um, hard to follow um, title. And please don't take it the wrong way. It just, it just sort of, you know, screams at me in that particular way. But for all of you that are listening, what I would say is actually it's a real um, a nice piece of, uh, of research to read. It flows really well. It, it, it just, it, it, for me, it's one of those easier academic papers to read. So thanks very much for being able to do that for me in particular. There are, there are certain words within your, um, within your research that I think you're probably going to use quite a bit when we chat through. So I'm just wondering whether... For, for me and mm -hmm. some of the listeners, could you possibly um, explain the three terms that you mainly use within the study? So you use velocity, you use stroke rate, and you use displacement per stroke. So could you give us a bit of a, an overview of what you mean by those particular words? Certainly. <clears throat> I guess um, velocity is, is speed, um, mm -hmm. how fast the boat is travelling. Uh, within this study, we used a unit of uh, meters per second, um, but this could be kilometers per hour, miles per hour, whatever sort of uh, speed-based measurement you're using. Stroke rate is the number of strokes taken within a minute, so um, over a set period of time, uh, and we did uh, single strokes to uh, go down that route. And then displacement per stroke can be known as distance per stroke, and it's effectively how far you travel per single stroke. Um, we align some of the terminology with other papers out there just to keep that continuity within the literature. That's really useful because, you know, having those sort of, you know, the way you just explained it there is it's much more easier to understand and determine what you're actually looking at. So, you know, speed you know, stroke per rate per minute on a single stroke, and obviously, you know, the, the distance per stroke um, is, is really useful to know. So thanks very much for that. Um, so without, I mean, I want people to go into the into the research um, and I want people to, to, to read it, but what were your key findings of the study? Yeah, um, I guess we had, we had a lot of findings jump out at us. I think we had a huge range of data. So we looked across categories, the classifications of KL1, KL2, KL3. And we also looked at the variation between genders, so men and women. Um, I think the standout result for us um, across all the categories and all, both genders was that stroke rate really was the biggest predictor of boat velocity. So if your stroke rate is low, your velocity will be low. Mm -hmm. If your stroke rate is high, you're more than likely yield a higher speed boat mm. velocity. Um, and this aligned with a lot of other research out there um, that, that if you read around the subject sort of indicates as well. Um, I was intrigued about the DPS element, the distance per stroke or displacement per stroke, mm. um, and how that changed and was affected through um, the categories and genders. And we found that for men, DPS was also quite a strong indicator to boat velocity. Mm -hmm. So um, we kind of pulled apart that and in uh, made some assumptions that that strength, um, physical strength, probably underpinned the ability to apply force within the stroke and therefore travel further per stroke. 
Um, the impairment categories obviously did affect the relationships. So within the um, higher impairment classes of KL1, we saw a much lower DPS than in the KL3 categories, um, a much higher DPS. So mm. linking that in with the gender differences, we see a trend across both genders mm. and across all of the categories. Um, we saw some interesting similarities between KL2 and KL3, yeah. um, and actually quite a drastic drop off or change in the determinants for KL1. So it made some uh, simple sort of uh, conclusions that actually the, the KL3 and KL2 uh, athletes perform the stroke rate and the, the deep distance per stroke in a, in a much more similar fashion and in a much more similar pattern across the race. And actually in the KL1 category, we saw quite a different relationship, similar to both men and women, um, but also a different pacing strategy. So across all categories, we, we saw what would be dubbed a all-out pacing strategy, which you would expect in a 200-meter race, um, given the time frame or the duration of the event. Um, but in the higher impairment classes, we saw a bit more of a, well, we saw less of a drop-off as we went through the stages. So we compared the 50-meter splits as we went down the race. Um, and in the higher, sorry, the lower impairment classes, we saw a, a greater drop-off, but also greater top speeds. So a bit of an inverse relationship there, um, but something that we could pull out potentially the ability to apply force and then resist fatigue across those classifications. Okay. Some really key findings there, isn't there? Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things, and you know, one of the things I always say after you know, sort of reading the key findings is, so what? <laughs> yes. Um, so my question is, what what recommendations or further research has come out from this? And my other question, you know, as a bolt on, is how how from understanding this will it affect the program that you're involved with? Mm. Oh, good question. Um, I guess my my in initial instinct is that everyone is an individual, and uh, para canoe in, is a fantastic representation of that. But if you generalised across the classifications, you could probably make some 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 assumptions that chasing both um, application of force and stroke rates would be really powerful in, in the KL3 and KL2 categories. Mm -hmm. um, for the KL1 categories, it probably opens up another question there around how much you can sort of unpick the boat adaptions to make the paddler um, as connected as possible, knowing mm -hmm. that the further up the impairment we have, the uh, the less the, the the more effective the kinetic chain is, and therefore the more um, detriment there is to power application, mm -hmm. which we saw in our results with really low DPS um, numbers, but quite high stroke rates. So they they can only or they, they they go to stroke rate for speed rather than a, a combination of the two. Um, and I think it was an interesting relationship that we saw between KL three and KL two. So quite often KL3 is um, sort of identified by a, a, a unilateral um, impairment. So a single leg amputation is a really common impairment we see in KL3. And in KL2, we quite often have a bilateral, so a, a symmetrical or, or close to symmetrical impairment. And actually, um, it would be really interesting to understand how the unilateral impairment has um, 
or it, it unifies those two categories a little bit closer than the KL1 to KL2 category. And I think um, we talk around the symmetry of a stroke and the application of uh, forces on e each side being symmetrical. Um, and I think anyone that has paddled the, the kayak knows that you're, you're looking to be um, as similar on left to right to kind of dr drive a forward propulsion. So understanding how uh, adaptations and even KL3 categories can help drive symmetry across the, the lower kinetic chain and up through the trunk. Um, I think the differences we saw between men and female, we see men yielded a much higher DPS quite often and actually um, we realise and it's, it's identified across a lot of uh, research that strength is really important in sprint kayak. Um, does this mean that we should focus that more on our female categories in that that's a, a potential area of gain or is it that what we do within our technical model um, means we haven't quite connected that yet so that transference piece um, is a really interesting one when we look within our squads currently um, but again I'm thinking that every athlete is is really individual so uh, uh, an adaption or a training method might be applicable for one KL3 athlete but not necessarily for another um, and that's the same in able-bodied uh, sports as well for sure. And I think it's really you know it's really nice listening to you you know when you go you know the the, the more leakage you get in terms of because you less mm -hmm. connection is then you have to do something else and you may have to increase the, the stroke rate or you you may have to do some of you know so you can only go so far about displacement yes. because of the connectivity that they might be lacking yeah and i think it, it it's not what we looked at at all but the um, technical application of the kayak stroke is where a lot of um, dampening happens mm. um, and i think the impairment categories give you a really nice separation and segregation but actually it, it can be pulled out of of anyone's paddling style how much we lose across the 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 leg drive, the hip drive, the torso rotation um, up into our arms and um, it's probably an applicable point for anyone at any stage uh, mm. looking at, at how efficient they are in their paddling style. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> getting on to the, 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 the meat of you know mm -hmm. what, what we want to sort of explore uh, during this podcast is what would you what advice would you give to coaches for them to consider and adapt their training for for athletes from from the research that you found i think it's a really interesting one because i think you can play with two um two predictors of boat speed mm -hmm. so uh, the title is deterministic uh, the determinants of boat velocity and um, a really fantastic piece of research by uh, barney wainwright came out many many years ago that unpicked and about eight layers of bits and pieces you could unpick um, all underpinning speed yeah. and actually the top two are, are simply distance per stroke and stroke rate and, and as coaches I think we can play with both of them quite easily without high um, expensive technology and um, in-depth analysis we can see and challenge stroke rates and we can play in a technical model being more efficient and driving more um, <clears throat> a better propulsion off a single stroke and I think we, we throw around the term of power strokes uh, people often use resistance training and actually unpicking it understanding why you're doing it and linking it to these kinematics of stroke rate and distance per stroke 
gives you something to anchor on and gives you something to both experiment with and draw back from. And from that, you can just understand and play um, with that relationship and work out what works with individuals. Okay. I think everyone can watch a race and see guys and girls rating really high and going just as fast as someone going 20 strokes less. And actually, mm. everyone will have an individual relationship between the two, but it's only through experimenting and training that you'll work out what's what's best for you and, and maybe what, where there is an area of potential gain. Okay. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I'm sat here and I'm going, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've read the, read the research, you know, the paper several times and, you know, listen to you now, I go, yeah, it, that, that's everything that I got from the paper. That, that mm -hmm. makes sense. And then I'm thinking, right, I'm, I'm a club coach. Um, and I've got limited access to sports science equipment or mm. you know, elaborate sports science equipment or a lab or whatever it might be. How could, how could those coaches um, predict such measurements? Yeah, <laughs> that's another good question. <laughs> um, and we're in a, a world where it's, we're data heavy, you mm. know. Um, you ask a, 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 an average triathlete, they've got every gadget under the sun to measure how fast they go and how much power they put out. Um, and we can do something similar, probably with slightly less um, in-depth analysis, but uh, a, a lot of paddlers now and a lot of athletes will have GPS watches. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's of a relatively low resolution when you look at some of the high-end stuff, but actually that provides a really simplistic and, and easy-to-access option. Um, prices of those guys are coming down as, mm -hmm. as, as fast as you can sort of talk as well. So... That will give you a really nice indication of velocity, speed, of how fast you're going. Um, there is a, an amazing tool called a, a Varka sensor. Um, not sponsored at all, but <laughs> you can buy them in the UK. <laughs> not for myself. Um, that do um, you know, a real simple accelerometer that will measure stroke rate, and it will link via Bluetooth or an ant um, uh, connection to your GPS watch. So you can get a real-time feedback of what your stroke rate is. Um, these are all these weren't available sort of five, ten years ago. So straight away we're well ahead of the game. Um, and some GPS watches allow you to download a, a distance per stroke app because it's um, a simple algorithm of if you've travelled X kilometres an hour at that stroke rate, it means you're going that many metres per stroke. So oh, that would be on an average, though, wouldn't it? A rolling or, or average does it of break around down at all? three strokes, I believe. Okay, wow. Is okay. What it's so based it's, off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it's pretty precise, and that real-time feedback is huge. Um, that is real-time feedback for the paddler, hmm. not necessarily for the coach. Um, partly because you've got to be in quite close vicinity to get um, uh, connectivity. So, for some of us, we actually just look and everyone will then could download their feedback of the watches and it could be on a, on a Garmin or a Polar uh, connectivity app that you can have a little gander at. But as coaches, you can also use stopwatches. I think mm. there's a, a collection of stopwatches that allow you to do stroke rate. Um, and if you've got a set distance or a course, you can work out how fast someone has gone by a, a small equation again. Um, and again, if you wanted to go down that video analysis, there's loads of options to slow stuff down, count and calculate how many strokes you've taken over a set period of time. But in this area, I think there's nothing better than the coach's eye. <laughs> mm. I guess you, you'll be able to see if someone is being really clean in their stroke, lifting the boat, driving it, um, 
allowing the stroke separation for the boat to glide and, and travel further than they might do or raising a stroke rate to a point that seems slightly out of control or lowering the stroke rate to challenge efficiency. There's loads of little cues and um, sort of tasks you can set individuals um, but challenge the both stroke rate and DPS element without having any clever gadgets. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I unpick it and say it's this area of play um, that we quite often ignore with, within race um, kayak training. We just kind of work really hard and actually there's a way of working really hard in, in a constraint-led method that plays with these two um, determinants of boat velocity, really. So be open to it, challenge it, um, because without an efficient technique, it doesn't matter how many strokes you put in, there is a glass ceiling. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's fantastic, and, and some great advice there, and, and hopefully listeners are, are thinking about their own practice, their own, mm. you know, their own approach to the training, and and whether they're going to adopt some of this. Um, I think, you know, for anyone listening, um, you can find the research on the British Canoe and Awarding Body um, website uh, on the, under the digital library, uh, and that will take you to the, the particular journal that uh, that we've been talking around uh, today. Um, Hannah, what, what what's next for you? You know, is, mm. does this is this research going to go into another particular area, or, or or what other areas might you start to look at to to develop your own coaching practice? Ooh, another challenging one. I'm personally just finishing the um, ICF level three coaching mm -hmm. course, so that's been insightful in, in many aspects. So, uh, allowing um, myself some time to put that into practice within my current coaching um, job will be really interesting. Um, these determinants of boat speed and, and the sort of the performance analysis side is another part of my job. Um, and we're, we're kind of in a bit of a the flow of winter training, but as we get into race season, it's another area for me to unpick and, and carry on sort of driving what, or trying to understand what the data says for individuals on the program uh, within the Para Canoe squad. Um, we do have another bit of research coming out on cold hands in paddlers. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're just waiting for it to be published so that's completely off point in what we've talked about right. in this past 20 minutes but yeah. it's another fantastic bit of research we've been canoeing um, and looking at understanding the sport a little bit more so yeah we'll keep that space live when it comes but um, generally it's just putting into practice some of the elements I've seen and read about and, and, and researched and understanding their um, actual applicable nature within the real life environment so as you said we tried to write this paper but it it is almost in layman's terms, so it can be used and abused in a, whatever way you want. So, um, happy to talk in more details if anyone's got any questions. But otherwise, enjoy it and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next. Well, Hannah, thanks very much for um, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're very busy um, and you've got lots on, and it sounds like you're doing even more research. But um, <laughs> thanks very much for your time. Um, thanks everyone else for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Remember. If you want to uh, delve into this particular research, you can find it on the Awarding Body uh, website under the Digital Library. Thanks very much, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.